live from WCHL Studio in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show, starring Chris and C.L. Brown. Tonight's show, we welcome ESPN Senior NFL writer Jason Reed and a whole bunch of other sports stuff. Sorry for not being detailed. But Christmas is almost here. Please hurry, Daddy. It's Sibling Rivalry Sports. You're a main one, C.L. Branch. Theathletics.com's shrewdest scribe. But you plan to drop bombs on my vibes and you chip at my chimes with your chides, C.L. Branch. When addressing your response to the sports wisdom of Chris Brown, your elder Thunder Sports brother, you should utilize these three words. Think. Thank. Thunk. Yeah! CL! I'm not supposed to answer that with humbug or something. <laughs> Bring it in. Bring it in the Christmas spirit with Grinch. <laughs> Bring it in. You know that in the end, the Grinch was a very good guy. So that's what I'm talking about. After I convince you of my sports opinions. I'm not really a Grinch, people. Nah. What's going on, man? How you doing? Man, we got a lot going on over here. Um, we got a great guest today, Jason Reed, ESPN.com, senior NFL writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, got, we got some heavy lifting issues starting up. Let's just yeah, get into do. it with the playbook, playback. <laughs> Big playback. Here it is. Big playback. The topic this week, athletics response to silent Sam, is it enough? And when we say athletics, we mean the, the, the athletes here on the campus of University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill uh, have responded to the uh, Board of Trustees and their proposal of what to do uh, with the silent Sam statue. What, what was that response or those responses, CEO? Well, there were there were two letters, two open letters written. One was signed by uh, roughly 300, almost 300 athletes crossing, you know, the span of volleyball, golf, gymnastics, rowing, track, uh, just across the board of athletics, football players, uh, some basketball players as well. There was a second list that was uh, or a second letter that was also written that was specifically um, uh, done by men's basketball players. And and uh, majority were African-American players. And, and, and it's people like Harrison Barnes, Vince Carter, Jerry Stackhouse that signed their name to that list or to that letter. And so, um, you know, and both, le- both letters essentially taking a stand against Silent Sam, um, saying that it shouldn't be put back on campus, of course, the uh, Board of Governors um, at the end of last week voted down the proposal that was on the table to uh, build a $5.3 million uh, building to house Silent Sam in. So it, but in some respects, you can look at it like the issue just got kicked down the road because they're forming another committee and they're going to uh, come up with some other idea uh, to present on March 15th. So it's not over yet. I mean, you know, we got these letters and everything pre- presented. We have protests that are ongoing, and, and it's not over yet. It's not over yet. So 
I don't know. I I, um, I look at those and I feel proud, you know, that that athletes would step up and put their names to this and and take a stand and just show that they are, you know, not aligning with these things and bringing awareness to it. And I guess my thought is, you know, I don't know. It, it's such a it's a volatile issue, and I think that there, you know. There's another side that folks have to it and the folks that have another perspective on it, which obviously is different than mine or yours. There are good, just decent folks out there who might have a different perspective. And so for me, it's like, wow, how do you how do you bridge this? I think make raising awareness, you know, which the athletes are trying to do. Hey, this is what this means to us. I think that's the way to go. But when I hear things like it's not enough. I don't know. I just kind of grimace at that. I think, well, baby steps, man. We got to we gotta start somewhere, don't we? I'm surprised that since the Missouri football team back in 2015, they had some issues on the campus of the University of Missouri in Columbia, and uh, things kind of were, were coming to a boiling point when the University of Missouri football players basically stepped in and said – we're boycotting everything football-related. We're not going to practice. We're not doing any football-related activities unless or until this, this system president resigns or is fired. And literally within two or three days, uh, that system president, I think his name is Tim Wolf or something like that, he stepped down. And I think that is the power that... Uh, every it's not in any sport you can't do that but for revenue producing sports of football and men's basketball that that pretty much power the athletic budgets at a lot of schools a lot of uh power five if you will schools um in this nation when those guys step up and speak up then they have a seat at the table automatically just because of the economic impact that a boycott or something to that effect would would have, and so the I spoke to I actually wrote uh, about this issue on theathletic.com. I spoke to Dr. Harry Edwards, who is who is renowned. Um, he he basically uh, uh, was the brain behind the 1968 uh, Olympic protest in in uh, Mexico City uh, with uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Um, he's been at it for a long time <laughs> and has observed all kinds of things. And so his point to me was that he felt like these letters, to, to use a quote from him directly, was it doesn't have any, it didn't have any teeth in it. Like the letters were basically just an opinion to him saying we think differently than, than you do. We, we disagree with uh, building, uh, putting Silent Sam in a building, building a $5.3 million building and putting them in it. And his point was that there had to the athlete should have went one step farther and put consequences in it. So if this is built, then this happens. If this is built, then we're not playing or then we're shutting this down kind of thing. So um, I agree with him in, in that respect, that there, there, there weren't any consequences clearly stated in the letter. It was just a we don't agree with this letter. As you said, I, I do understand the need for baby steps, but 
I, I think if you're if you're gonna do this, you got to do it right. There's there's no kind of like soft tap on the door. Pardon us. Uh, well, we don't really. I don't think that you should. <laughs> I mean, you got to come forward and say, look, man, this is wrong. That's, right. that's the way. That's I what feel the letter it. said. That's what the letter said. Yes. This is wrong, but we're not going to do anything about it. But this is wrong. Well, did they say we're, did they say we're not going to do anything about it, or did they just kind of leave it out there and say we're going to give you a chance to show us what kind of character that you have and how you value us? Let's let's just let's just tell you this is where we're standing right now, and then the ball's in your court. We we've been at this isn't like a newly introduced introduced topic, Silent Sam. This isn't right. something where they need to be like, well, we're gonna see what you can do because we, we've seen the inaction on on the part of the administration for a long time now. Right. But <laughs> what's new time. is the athletes taking the stand. It's yeah. new for them to say anything, but I mean, is this an exact stand they took? I don't think this is a stand. I think this is stating this is how we feel about it, but I don't I don't see this as being a stand. A stand is if you build that, I'm not playing on Saturday. That's a stand. That's taking a stand. Well, I think taking a stand is stating what you believe. That is stance number one. And then action based off of that stance is if nothing happens and if people continue to kind of mill about this you know this nebulous kind of, and then the action is okay. You know what? We're 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 going to pull back from play. We're not playing. We are not going to play on a campus that represents this thing that we feel like is, you know, you cannot reconcile with with kind of peaceful living. Well, I'm I'm not I'm not even advocating that they boycott or anything like that. Um, my point though is that there, I, I feel like they could have taken one more step. Like I, I feel like this this was this is kind of your ticket to the arena, but you're not playing ball yet. You know this this was like okay, we're in there, we're making a statement, but uh, again, I go back to to what Doctor Edwards said. Um, you have to have some teeth teeth in it. Got to have some skin in the game. Or like uh, Marshawn Lynch said. You got to be about that action, boss. <laughs> Wait a minute. You about went that action. From a tenured professor <laughs> to beast mode. Beast mode. What up, baby? Well, I tell you what, we're about to go beast mode with it all kinds of ways because we're going to bring uh, the undefeated ESPN's The Undefeated reporter Jason Reed up next. He covers the NFL, and we're going to talk all kinds of NFL football here on Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Joining us now, our next guest is another distinguished gentleman of the frat. So nice they had to name it twice. Cap Alpha side, baby. Is in the building, Jason. Jason Reed of ESPN, senior NFL writer. Welcome to the show, man. Welcome, but thank you, brother. I appreciate having me on. Welcome, welcome. I, I'm I'm all for uh, the more the merrier with the with the brothers of Kappa Alpha Psi. I can get on the show to to help me out. I know you're gonna help bolster my arguments against my brother here. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. But uh, my, my, my brother's also a new, but my, my dad, 
Um, I, I'm, I'm sure your listeners don't want to get on <laughs> the history of the greatest fraternity known to man, but my, my pops uh, was a new two uh, chapter of business. That's awesome. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know you had the legacy like that. That's awesome. Though. Hey, Jason, uh, my brother's a noob, so you know, I just want to <laughs> let, let you know that, man. I'm neutral, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm neutral. Hey, well, we want to jump in with, uh, you know, the NFL playoff races are, are hot and heavy going into these last two weeks of the season. Um, and hitting home for us personally, I'm a Steelers <laughs> fan. My brother is a Ravens fan. Yes. And, and it's a tight half-game lead for the Steelers right now in the AFC North. How do you see this playing out? Both of them have big, big-time big opponents this weekend. Steelers at the Saints, and uh, the Ravens get the Chargers. So how, how do you see that race playing out? Yeah, you know, it was a very uh, interesting last weekend. I really thought that if the Steelers – did not beat the Patriots if they didn't hang on to win that game. I thought it wasn't looking good. And, you know, then you talk about, well, what could happen to Coach Mike Tomlin if they wound up missing the playoffs. Uh, I mean, and you look at his, his situation, everybody, I don't know if everybody knows, but he's also a, a member of uh, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity. No doubt. Um, Let's just say that the world um, is. The <laughs> world are members. Anybody cool and, and, and successful member. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I like that. I mentioned it, but I already like it. But uh, look at the Steelers situation, that, that losing streak they were on, uh, the Patriots coming in. They really had to win that game. They definitely won that game. But I'll tell you all what, fellas. Lamar Jackson has just like, breathed new life into that Ravens team. To see what he's doing, uh, you know, Ozzie Newsom, uh, the general manager of the Ravens, drafted him. This is Ozzie's last year as the general manager. He's done a great job putting together two Super Bowl teams. And with the pick that he made to get Jackson there at the end of that first round, he really is looking great right now because this kid has uh, you know, put this team in a position that a lot of people didn't think it would be in. They're going to face the Chargers this week. That's going to be a real tough game. Chargers are playing some great ball. Uh, you talked about the Steelers facing the Saints. So I, I really think the Steelers are going to win that game against the Saints. And I think the Ravens are going to Chargers, so I see the Steelers hanging on in that division. That was the right answer. Wait, did you say did he, did you say that the Ravens are going to beat the Chargers as well? No, no I lose. think the Ravens are going to lose. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Now you don't feel any undue pressure to to say that, do you? <laughs> no, no pressure at all. No pressure at all. <laughs> well, speaking of the Chargers, I mean, one of the reasons I'm kind of glad that they're still locked in a battle with the Chiefs. Uh, atop the AFC West is because they do have to still play. They can't be resting players and have everything all locked up. Um, what do you see developing in the AFC West? Because that's that's essentially, well, the the Texans, I guess, have a chance still at the, the number one overall seed in the AFC, but uh, I, I believe it'll come down to the Chiefs or Chargers claiming that number one spot. What do you think there? Well, the interesting thing is when you talk about they can't rest anyone, you're right, they can't because they're, they're battling to try to win that division against the, the Chiefs. I tell you what, I don't know. that That's a tough one because you got two teams that are just I mean, really playing great ball. And the Chargers, though, man, very, you know, they've got talent, but I don't think anyone expected them to be in this position. Um, I, I'm going I'm to stick with the Chargers just because I, I think what they've been doing is they're getting it done. Um, and, you know, you before we leave the, the, excuse me, the Steelers and the Saints, the Saints are trying to, to get the overall number one seed in the NFC, so they can't rest anybody either. 
true. Yeah, I think I think the Panthers <laughs> kind of lament that fact after last week they were trying to to fight for that to stay in the picture and and probably wish the Saints were able to rest people so they could have got less than a best effort. Um one is want to stick in the AFC because I think New England Patriots, I mean, they're essentially going to win the AFC East and, and get in the playoffs again. But I have a, a feeling that we're seeing the end of the Patriots dynasty. Um, Brady looked old to me uh, against the Steelers and, and has at times looked look very human this season. Um, what, what do you think about my theory on that? Well, people have been saying uh, or predicting the demise or the end of that Patriots dynasty for some time, and it hasn't come yet. Uh, talk to me after the playoffs. <laughs> then I'll be able to give you a little bit of a better answer. But right now, I mean, yeah, they, they have not had the typical Patriots season, but I'm not ready to write them off just yet. Yeah, I, I respect that. I mean, yeah. To beat a man, you got to beat the man. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give that. And I, I will say Gronk looked old too against Miami when they had him back on the on the you know potential <laughs> hell mary play. Bro. Yeah, but come on, he's an athlete and he just got juked. <laughs> I mean, he could not reach that that edge, man. He's not a safety though. They should not. Why do they have him out there? Hello. Yeah, what? yeah. but here's the thing I remember about Gronk too. Gronk's had a lot of surgery. True. And, you know, to be out there in that position, I was a little surprised. Uh, Gronk gets it done, but, you know, in terms of trying to feel like he's got to catch a guy, he's not He's not a defensive player. So, yeah, that I, that, I thought that whole thing very curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and rounding out the AFC, um, in the AFC South, uh, you know, we got the Texans in first place right now, and the Colts and Titans at eight and six, um, also kind of nipping at the heels of uh, the Ravens. <clears throat> Excuse me for a wild card position. What, what do you think out of, out of those three teams? Well, really, between the Colts and the Titans, I mean, do you see either one of those guys getting in the playoffs over the Ravens? Colts have really been very impressive. Uh this season on the right, you know, they, they, they've really come on strong, but I still like the Ravens to hold on. Hmm. Well, I mean, so, Jason, I got, I got to point out, though, if the Ra- I think if the Ravens lose, then one of those teams will make it. If the Ravens lose to the Chargers, and, you know, we're talking like the Colts, the Colts are playing the Giants this week, so I think... That game, Titans-Colts, if the Ravens lose, that game will determine the sixth. I think the sixth seed. If, if Pittsburgh wins. Yeah, so that, that's if Pittsburgh wins. I have to admit that's a Pittsburgh yeah, win. But, but, yeah, but Pittsburgh's got to win, though. So I still think – let me put it this way. I, I, I've been covering the NFL since 2007, and when we get to this point of year, people look at all these scenarios, and so many times you have to wait for the thing to actually play, play out to actually know – I, I, I don't like all the mental gymnastics. I mean, I, I think that when you, you look at a team like, like the Chiefs and you look at a team like the Chargers, you say, okay, well, one of those teams is going to be a wild card, one of those teams is going to win the division. I get that. But just, there's just so many things to play out. I think you can go crazy trying, you know, in this week to map it all out. Right. No doubt. No doubt. Hey, uh, you know what? Speaking of the crazy maps, um, 
Do you have any comment about the Cleveland Browns? I mean, everybody loves talking about Cleveland. I kind of like Deion Sanders' quote this week. Cleveland ain't hot. They just, they're fortunate. I kind of like that quote. But what, what do you think about them? I mean, the world would have to kind of reverse, like in that movie, Superman. The world would have to reverse, but I guess there's a possibility. What do you think? I don't see them making it. I think, though, that with Baker Mayfield, they, they made a right decision on the quarterback. And the whole thing about the NFL is you can't win unless you have a quarterback. And I think that they clearly have a quarterback. And moving forward, I think next year you'd have to say if they're not in the playoff hunt, it would be a, a major surprise and a disappointment. True. Okay. So so I think that's a good segue then, Jason, to just the thought about quarterbacks like Mayfield, you know, who are who pass who love to pass the ball. You're talking Saints earlier. So there's been a renaissance of offense when it comes to passing the ball this year in the NFL. Rams as well, and of course Mahomes and the the wonderful job he's done with the Chiefs. I wanted to ask you though, what do you think about that kind of pass-happy offense versus what you mentioned before, the run-happy offense, the RPO, you know, 65% run offense that the Ravens are running right now. So that would that could kind of be looked at as a renaissance rushing offense. So you got the, the run-happy and you got the pass-happy. Which do you think is harder to prepare for to defend? Well, let me say this, that what the Ravens are doing is specifically because of Lamar Jackson's skill set mm-hmm. and his development right now, or I should say the stage of his development as a pocket pass in the NFL. Now, I covered the Washington Redskins the year that Robert Griffin III won the NFC uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year Award, and excuse me, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year Award. And what I've seen a lot here is that you have a guy who has a great ability at what he does really well, and the Ravens, to their credit, have tailored the situation to get the best out of it. But I don't think that that's something that translates to every human across the board. True. Um, simply because the there just aren't a lot of there just aren't any other teams that have a guy who can do exactly what he does. Mm-hmm. It's true. Okay. So so in prep, if you were a defensive coordinator, in prepping, who would you rather prep for? Which which offense, you know, Lamar Jackson, so we are being specific to him, Lamar Jackson, RPO, or like a pass-happy Mahomes-type offense? Um, if, if, you're, if you're saying to me, like, what the defensive coordinator would want, I don't think he'd want to have the same side of want. It's two totally different ways in which you're approaching how to contain an offense. Um, you know, having I have, I have know I know a lot of guys in NFL who are uh, defensive assistant coaches, and they're just they don't they don't approach it like okay, which one will be better? They they approach it like which what do we have to do to put ourselves in the best position? I don't think they'd like to, to face either one. I don't think they, they relish facing either one. Um, and, and one isn't easier than the other. They both present different challenges. Hey, uh, Jason, we're going to switch over to the NFC right now. Um, 
And it seems like Jared Goff has kind of been struggling. The, the Rams have dropped two. They're now behind the Saints in terms of uh, the race for the number one seed in the NFC. What, what have defenses figured out about the Rams that they couldn't figure out earlier this year? You know, that's a good question. Like in the last three games, I, I, I saw some stats where Goff has like one touchdown pass, seven interceptions, mm-hmm. like fewer than 800 yards passing. And now let, let's give credit to the Chicago Bears. Incredible defense anchored by Khalil Mack who could win the, well, if, if, if it weren't for Aaron Donald, it probably be the defensive player of the year. Um, and the, the Eagles uh, the other night, they really got after him. Michael Bennett, Fletcher Cox, they really penetrated and put a lot of pressure on him. I think what we see is a guy who, in his development right now, has hit a point where the Rams need to figure some other things out. I don't think all of a sudden Jared Goff become, became a horrible player. It's a combination of the defenses they face and the fact that the Rams haven't countered those things very well. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're going to let you out on this question um, that would be of interest to, to people around here. Um, Mitch Trubisky, quarterback of the Chicago Bears, um, as as somebody with limited experience, this would be his first playoff experience. Well, it's limited NFL experience, I should say. This would be his first playoff appearance. How far do you think this Chicago Bears team can go? Certainly their defense is probably the strength of the team, but um, having having a first-timer at quarterback go through the playoffs, um, how, how far do you think this team can go? Well, They've got a great foundation because their foundation is defense, and they really do get after it. And at each level of defense, defensive line, linebackers, secondary, I mean, this is a team that really poses a lot of problems in offense. But you do have a, a, a quarterback who does not have playoff experience. You've got a quarterback who I've been impressed with him at times this year, but you know, he had the injury. Uh, I still think even with all of their problems with golf right now, that the Rams are the team that's going to come out of the NFC. Oh, wow. I could be wrong, but that's what I believe right now. As far as the Bears, do I see them winning a playoff game? I'm just not sure because the inexperience of the quarterback is such a wild card in, once you get in the NFL playoffs that I think it's, it's just too difficult to tell. I'm sorry to give a wishy-washy answer. I'm just really not sure because of the inexperience. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, we appreciate your time, Jason Absolutely. Reed. Thank you, thank you. Senior NFL writer, ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at J R E I D E S P N. That's A at J Reed ESPN. And uh, you have to come and join us again uh, and celebrate the, the end of the Patriots dynasty with me personally <laughs> later on in the season. Appreciate you. Okay. Appreciate you coming on, Jason. We'll see what happens anytime. Luke, you got it, okay? All right, thank take you, care. Jason. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. 
where we always chill. We got a winter chill, a Christmas chill going on, but we can get warmed up fast with the NFL, with football, more football, because, of course, we just had Jason Reed from ESPN talking football, giving his perspectives on what's going on, which we appreciate. Good insight from that gentleman. Yet... He, he touched on something that I want to elaborate on a little bit, CL, and it's this the phenomenon of this rushing game that we're seeing um, that is centered around Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. Lamar Jackson is a very controversial and interesting athlete. And I really dove in and took a look not only what he's doing now, but what he has done over his career. And I kind of compared it to the other quarterbacks who've been starting more than he has, who were taken in the first round of the 2018 draft. And I came up with some surprising, some surprising numbers, including just overall uh, production. See, you know what? My bottom line is, I believe that this comes down to aesthetics. Because people are saying things like, he can't sustain They can't sustain this type of offense with him running. But you know what? He's used to, over his career, rushing like 15 times per game. Now, I agree that's that's in college, but that's what he's used to doing. You know, he's he's rugged. You remember when Anquan Bolden played quarterback for Florida State? Uh, Not really. (laughs) Yeah, he was a quarterback. And then he came in the league, and he was this rugged, rough-and-tumble receiver. So, so I, I kind of look at it in a, in a way like that. I think he is, he he knows how to avoid hits. He's super fast. This is what he's done all his career: run RPO. And I think with a training camp behind him, he can put up some serious numbers. I, I think it's hey, look, you know what? I don't believe that staying in the pocket is a guarantee for success. So I just I don't know. I kind of I'm, I'm coming around to the offense being like this. I mean, I agree that it's there's more than one way to run an offense, and I hate when people try and put everybody square peg in the round hole of be a pocket passer. I, I can't stand that. And Lamar Jackson is a unique talent, and you need to cater an offense around his unique talent. So in, in one respect, I look at it as uh, John Harbaugh is doing it right and the Ravens are doing it right. The other half, though, that I'm not repeating that. Can you say that one more time? I give credit where credit is due. Of course, I know, I know. Most of the time, (laughs) but uh, it's just nice to hear you say that. I just think, though, that Jackson, my my concern with Jackson is getting him hit. Period. When you when you design have have him running design run plays and that kind of thing anytime you're going to do that he's going to take he's going to take a pounding and you can equate it to when Mike Vick was doing the same thing with Atlanta and you know on to the Eagles and Steelers and everything else he always got hurt I'm not I'm not certain on you know his his <laughs> his actual stats of games missed, but he always took licks. He always got hurt, and that's one thing I look at with with Lamar Jackson. Just just I think the stat was since week eleven he has twice, at least doubled the amount of carries of any other quarterback True. in the in that time frame. True, and so because of that he's taken hits eighty two times, which is thirty one more times than any other quarterback. Mm-hmm. And uh and uh, just the. Uh, just to add on to that too, he fumbles a lot. 
The yeah. Ravens and 49ers yeah. are tied for the most yes. fumbles in the league right now mm-hmm. at 12. Nobody else has double figures. Sure. Now, they haven't lost all of those, but he puts mm-hmm. the ground on a lot. Oh, yeah, that's right. Now, now listen, now, he's a rookie, though. So turning the ball over, that's, that's a rookie thing. That's a rookie thing. He could be standing in the pocket and still well, successful. Well, fumbling is different than a misread on a pass and getting picked off. Turnovers, True. interception is different than because I run a lot and fumble a lot. But would you agree that standing in the pocket doesn't mean that you're not going to fumble? No, but I think most of his fumbles come from running, not from standing in the pocket. Okay. Well, you know. All right. So, But, but I, I have to bring up one thing before we wrapped up this segment. I want y'all to know Chris thought that the old Dominion quarterback <laughs> was better than Lamar Jackson passing the ball um, two seasons ago. <laughs> I just need to put we that gotta out there. We got to get specific with them. We got to get specific. Out there. But, I mean, look, technically, his percentage, I don't know. I think it is better. I mean, technically, it is better, CL. I would have to go, but I'm not even conceding that it was better. You tried to make that point, but I, I don't remember what it was at the time that you brought it up. You were just hating on Jackson. I wish that you would admit that. I, well, I'll, that? well, I'll admit is that what I'll admit is that once uh, Lamar Jackson became a Raven, I, I, it's all love, baby. See how this goes, people. What's wrong with that? <laughs> What's wrong with that? All right. Well, I tell you, we got to move on, and uh, let's give a good ear to the people that keep us on air, and then we're going to come back with college basketball and the brownout here on Sibling Rivalry Sports, 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports. Uh, so, CL, one thing I want to address. So, you know, with the opening, I just want to make sure you understand, CL. The opening, it was not saying you are a Grinch. It was saying you're a Grinch with regards to my sports opinions. And I was saying he's <laughs> Grinching them, you know, but I'm going to, you know, try to convince you to the other way. That's what they were saying. I, uh, okay. You're a nice guy. Thank <laughs> You're you. You're a nice guy. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we got college basketball. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We have a uh, big game of the weekend is, is going to be Carolina against Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, for the first time since the 2017 Elite Eight game that made Luke May famous. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, and I'm sure he's going to get a lot of questions about that. But this is going to be a very different matchup than than that was. Kentucky right now is is not at a, in my opinion. First of all, they're out of the top 25. Yeah, and this is crazy. This is just one of those down years for Kentucky. Like, I don't see them being, I don't think they're going to win the SEC. I think Tennessee and Auburn have the upper leg on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're just kind of a a middling team trying to find its way right now. But we're going to get to them in a second. Um, I think Carolina's rolling after that Gonzaga win. So nice. So nice. Yeah, Roy Williams still doesn't like where his defense is at. But but there was plenty to be pleased with if, you know, even even with Roy maybe trying to pick holes in his team and and find things to complain about, um, you have to start with Seven Woods play off the bench. Yes. Wow. Somebody lit a match with that young man. <laughs> he played with more confidence than I've seen since he's since basically since he's got to Carolina. I mean, mm-hmm. 
the first three pointer he hit, it was it was a catch and shoot. There was no thought, there was no hesitation to it, and that's how you like to see guys play. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think he's really been able to play that way for for his time there. Um, Cameron Johnson, I think he's leading the ACC right now, three point uh, field goal percentage, and he continued his high hand six three pointers in that game. Player of the week, right? Yes, player of the week in the ACC, and Luke May. Luke May, the knock on Luke May was that, especially you would hear this a lot last year whenever he have, uh, you know, he was held to single digits in in some games, and um, uh, you would hear that he has trouble against big athletic bigs or or bigs with length. But you're not going to find another pair better than Gonzaga's Rui Hachimori, who who's being projected as a lottery pick for the 2019 draft. And and Brandon Clark, who is solid, he's he's rock solid in the front court there. And Luke May had twenty and sixteen, twenty point sixteen rebounds against those guys. So uh, I think that was the best game he's played this season so far. He had more points in the opener against Wofford, but I think this was a more complete game, especially considering the step up in competition. So uh, th- those are some things that I think. Uh, Carolina has to be pleased with going going ahead. And I wrote a column, uh, a story in The Athletic saying that, again, getting back to best defense being a great offense, I'm not sure that this team will ever be a great defensive team. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily think they have to be if they're hitting on all those offensive cylinders. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, moving to Kentucky – They've kind of got, I won't say they're in turmoil right now, although things in Lexington, when things go bad for Kentucky basketball, <laughs> and I don't even mean scarable. I just mean, right. yes, yeah. somebody yeah. breaks a fingernail, and it's it's pandemonium <laughs> sometimes <laughs> uh, because there's so many people so passionate about that team. But, you know, they had point guard Quade Green announce his transfer kind of abruptly um, in the season. And so far, I mean, you look at it, their best win might be UNCG. Wow, that's that's in terms of the Ken Pomeroy metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, UNCG is their only win over a top 100 team. Wow, and you know we saw them get blown out by Duke in the in the season opener. They lost to uh, Seton Hall on a neutral court and in overtime mm-hmm. um, in a close game. But uh, you know Seton Hall is certainly a team that may be in the NCAA tournament, but they're a beatable team. So yes. Um, it's a blue blood matchup, maybe in name only this year. That's right. When uh, when Carolina plays Kentucky, and I don't think anybody will be complaining about that in Chapel Hill. CL, I'm about to utter a phrase that is the antithesis of your very tight professionalism in a good way. Uh, the antithesis is better than than us. <laughs> That's what I say about that. <laughs> better them than us. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I think we can uh, move on to the brownout and wrap up this show. The brownout. Has Mac Brown already turned a corner with Carolina's football program? All right. Topic number one on the brownout. What do you say, CL, about Mac? Well, his signature during his first tenure was in-state recruiting and, and getting, you know, the, the old adage, drawing a line... Or, or building a wall around the state or however they say <laughs> whatever that coaching cliche is <laughs> and right now you have to point to Dave Duran down the road at NC State as being the guy who was drawing that line and kept oh, yeah. the best in-state guys yeah. in so yeah. um, this was an important step getting Sam Howell 
uh, to commit to Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how these battles shape up. I'm not ready to, to give it to him yet to say he's turned the corner, but this was an important step. Well, I would say that what he's done is he, he's just played to his strength. The man can recruit. This is a huge turnaround. You know, um, I've seen some Florida State fans out there on Twitter and whatnot who were just so confident that this boy was their quarterback. In fact, I was confused at first. I was confused because they were calling him Florida State quarterback. And I was like, wait a minute, isn't he making a decision? And he made it for the Tar Heels. That is Mac Brown, the Mac Brown effect, which is awesome. Next up, Panther safety Eric Reed has been summoned for another drug test. Is this fair? You know how I feel on this one, man. <laughs> no, NFL, CL, I don't the know. The NFL needs to go ahead and pay Eric Reed his money and stop harassing him. This this is silly. This is ridiculous. This is unprofessional. And I feel like it's becoming a weekly thing on our show for me to get mad at the NFL <laughs> and shake a fist at some of their actions. But this this is horrible. Yeah. You sure he's not just reading the same one over again? Or I don't know. Maybe... Maybe it's just like some some printer is broken somewhere. <laughs> Same thing is coming out. I don't know. I have no defense. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Moving on. This dirty league NFL. Oh tactics. gosh. Oh gosh. Wow. Okay. Now now we can move on. Thoughts on Roy Williams signing a contract extension to stay with UNC. What do you think about Roy staying? Well, it's awesome. I just I don't know that. I guess I don't. I can't see him coaching at seven. Is it seventy six? Actually, I think he'll be seventy seven by the end of the contract. Gosh, how how old was Dean Smith when he retired? Sixty six. Yeah. But one thing that Roy has said, and clearly Roy's sixty eight now, so he's gone past that. But right. he said that um, that Coach Smith told him uh, at at some point that. Essentially, maybe he still had some more left and maybe he shouldn't have stepped down at 66. Um, But, you know, I mean, Jim Boeheim is 74 right now, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like they don't look at 70 is the new 60. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) And and I think you will see more guys coaching into uh, Coach Krzyzewski is 71. I think he'll be 72 in February. Like, don't look at man. Yeah, you'll see guys coaching later, but. 77, I don't know if he'll be here that whole time. Yeah. Who knows, though, man? Is he not the most dapper 68-year-old on the planet? What's next? The Carolina Panthers have been eliminated from playoff contention, and there have been rumors of head coach Ron Rivera being fired. Should they or shouldn't they? No to answer your question, but before. But um, <laughs> so, uh, Who is? Carolina Panthers, I think they should keep Ron another year. And, and next year maybe be his hot seat year. But uh, I feel like they've had flawed rosters that they've expected him rolled out and expected him to win with. And, uh, you know, I mean, it hadn't worked out. Well, your colleague, um, your for- I'm sorry, your former colleague at ESPN and the first guest, so we could call her sibling rivalry sports alum, Josina Anderson, pointed out during the Panthers game uh, last weekend that uh, that he, uh, Cam's shoulder was hurt. He definitely had a weird look at throwing motion, and she pointed that out. So, you know, I think, uh, and, and look at what they did to that offense. Look how close they came. I think calling for his head is far too soon. You gotta, you know, give it another go and see what you can tweak. No way should they cut him out. 
Right, CL. Right. <laughs> and that's our time for tonight. Yes, it is. So thank you for tuning in. We want to wish you a very Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next week. My name is Chris Brown. I'm CL Brown. And this is Sibling, Sibling Rivalry, Rivalry Sports. Sports on 97.9 The Hill.